nine research projects studying Long Island Sound have received funding from Connecticut and New York agencies. One project led by Chris Elphick in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at UConn will explore coastal restoration tactics in Stratford's Great Meadows Marsh. They provide habitat for a variety of fish and wildlife species. They provide lots of recreational opportunities. They also protect human infrastructure from the effects of storm surge and so on. Other projects that received funding will explore the impacts of climate change on fish in the sound, beach and transportation access, and more. You're listening to After All Things, WSHU's daily news update from the Connecticut, New York region. New York housing advocates are confused over some recent comments from the governor. Connecticut's Pratt & Whitney announced a new multi-billion dollar deal and a conversation with U.S. Treasurer and Mohegan Chief Lynn Malerba. Those stories and more are coming up. I'm Sabrina Garone. Some recent off-the-cuff comments by Governor Hochul on whether she might support a tenants' rights measure known as the Good Cause Eviction Law caused a stir among advocates and landlords. But a spokeswoman for the governor said people shouldn't read too much into it. Karen DeWitt explains. Hochul has proposed in her budget an ambitious housing plan. It would launch the building of up to 800,000 new homes over the next few years. The Housing Committee chairs in the Senate and the Assembly say they'd like to see the good cause eviction legislation be part of that housing package. The measure would require landlords to justify rent increases of greater than 3 percent and would give tenants the power to challenge evictions that they believe are arbitrary, retaliatory, or discriminatory. Hochul has been noncommittal about the proposal, but at an event in Rochester on Tuesday where she was listing steps she wants to take to increase affordable housing in New York, she seemed to tell an audience member that she is considering the idea. Housing for sure. That's why we have a very aggressive housing plan on the books. And it's on our list, too. The questioner was hard to hear, and Hochul's press secretary, Hazel Crampton-Hayes, says the governor did not fully catch the question. Crampton-Hayes says the governor's position has not changed and that the good cause eviction measure is not part of her housing plan. But she says the governor is open to talking to the legislature about any topic. Tenants' rights advocates say they'll keep pushing, but landlords' groups say the measure would be an unfair burden to them and would work against Hochul's goal of increasing the number of available homes to rent. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Connecticut-based Pratt & Whitney has been awarded a multi-billion dollar contract to continue building engines for fighter jets. WSHU's Shelley hessman Kadish reports. The aerospace company in East Hartford announced this week that the $5.2 billion deal will support production of 278 engines, with an option for up to 518 total. The engines power all three variants of the F-35 fighter aircraft. Company officials say the F-135 engine program is a major driver of economic growth across the country. It supports more than 53,000 jobs in 36 states. Jen Lotka, vice president for the F-135 program, said in a statement, 
that this marks a major milestone for the program, which is working to reduce production costs. The company credits the F-135 engine as the most powerful and most advanced fighter engine in the world. Shelley Hassman Kadish, WSHU News. When you set your clocks ahead this weekend, Connecticut wildlife officials also want residents to put away their bird feeders. That's because bears are coming out of hibernation and they're going to be hungry. State Wildlife Division Director Jenny Dixon says Connecticut residents play an important role in making sure bears don't look to neighborhoods for easy meals. Now is the time to sort of start taking in those bird feeders to start thinking about the fact that you've got to wait until collection day to put your trash out. The overwhelming majority of reported human bear conflicts involve bird feeders and trash. Lawmakers will consider a bill to regulate the use of bird feeders for the first time and also allow for a bear hunting lottery in Litchfield County. Lynn Malerba is no stranger to making history, a conversation with the first female chief of the Mohegan tribe and the first Native American U.S. treasurer is coming up after headlines and a message from our supporter. Support for After All Things comes from Hartford HealthCare. More COVID vaccine answers at hartfordhealthcare.org slash vaccine or 833-621-0600. Offshore wind farm developer Orsted has won over $90 million in tax breaks from the town of Brookhaven. $87.4 million over 25 years will support an electrical converter station and an 18-mile-long cable connecting the wind farm to a substation in Holbrook. And an additional $2.6 million over 10 years will convert an East Setauket building into an operations center. The Sunrise Wind Farm will be built 30 miles east of Montauk Point and will begin operating in 2025. With spring just around the corner, Stanford's outdoor dining has become a permanent fixture of its streets. But this isn't without a fee. The city's newest ordinance states any restaurant with an outdoor seating space will pay anywhere from $250 to $1,500 in annual fees. It all depends on how many seats are made available within the public's right of way. The busiest highway on Long Island's east end may see closures for at least the next two years. This comes as a result of a Suffolk County project to install sidewalks along County Road 39 in Southampton and costs almost $10 million. The decision was announced at a public hearing earlier this week in which one attendee said that sounds torturous. March is Women's History Month. Indigenous women from tribes in Connecticut have played a significant role in leadership for centuries. WSHU's Janice Roman spoke with Mohegan Chief Lynn Malerba, who was appointed U.S. Treasurer last year by President Joe Biden. Well, first off, congratulations on your appointment as Treasurer of the United States. It's been several months since the appointment. What has the transition been like for you to go from representing your tribe as chief to also taking on a national leadership position? It has been such an honor to be able to do that. Number one, uh, because I, the Biden and Harris administration made such um, 
a focus on having all of the diverse voices in Indian country, as well as the entire United States heard um, at higher levels within tribal, within government, within the federal government. Um, but also when I said yes, it was yes with the consideration that I was saying yes for all of our tribes. And so it's a real honor to have a seat at the table on behalf of all of our tribes. As you know, I've always raised my voice to be an advocate for many, many issues at the federal level for all of the tribes, especially Mohegan and especially New England tribes and or Eastern Seaboard tribes. Um, but this is such a unique opportunity that I just couldn't say no. Um, I had just finished telling my family that I was going to stop working quite so hard. I was going to start dialing things back a little bit. And this opportunity presented itself. And, and I just knew immediately that this was something that I needed to do. Um, because I learned very early on, I have lots of opinions about things. Um, and I also believe that you should trust your own voice. And so when you're offered an opportunity, you should take that opportunity and make sure you're using your voice in a powerful way. You've made history in several ways uh, throughout various positions that you've taken on in leadership. But if we can sort of take it a step back, what initially inspired you to pursue leadership? Well, you know, I stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. And so we always at Mohegan had so many strong tribal leaders. Our tribal women, there was a, a female chief in the 1700s. Um, when there was a dispute about who should be the chief, Connecticut wanted one person to be the chief because they felt that he would be more amenable to what the state of Connecticut wanted versus what the tribe wanted. And so Anne Uncas kind of stepped into the breach early on. Um, and yet, you know, we still don't have a female president, right? Um, and even as early as the 1700s, even before the, you know, or right after, the state of Connecticut was formed. We had tribal delegations talking to the legislature at, in Connecticut at a time when we couldn't even vote for those legislators. And it was both men and women always. Our council has always been very balanced in terms of male and female leadership. And so I always draw my inspiration from those women. Uh, but my mom was on our tribal council for 30 years. Now she's raising seven children. She's working at an elementary school. She's working very hard in her own personal life, but yet she was donating and volunteering all of her time to be a tribal leader and to set the stage for those of us who would come after her. And her, um, her, her generation of leaders were the ones that regained federal recognition, as I say, re-recognition, regained some tribal land and help spur economic development. And so all of the generations since then have benefited from the work that she has done. A lot of what I've been speaking with other women from various tribes within uh, Connecticut saying s similar things, you know, that women supporting other women, it's very much embedded within the culture that support. And if you can extend a little advice specifically for young indigenous women that are interested in pursuing leadership roles. My message to every young woman is always don't hold on to a plan so tightly that you miss the greatest adventure you could never have imagined ever. I think that, again, you have to trust your inner voice and don't wait for somebody to say, oh, I think you'd be good for this. Just, you know, go for it. Um, because, you know, I think women sometimes tend to think, oh, I haven't paid my dues yet. I haven't worked too hard. Maybe I don't know enough yet. You will learn what you need to know. Um, and you know you just have to work hard at it. 
And we all know that women work twice as hard. We all know this. Um, and so I think if you believe in yourself and you, and you also look to the people who have led before you for inspiration, you can't go wrong. You have to understand what your ancestors wished so uh, very deeply for their tribal citizens and their tribal communities because they've struggled, right? Tribes, well, they talk a lot about um, intergenerational depression. I think tribes have intergenerational resilience because think about the, the female leaders that came before us. They didn't have economic development. They didn't have funds, but what they had was a belief in their own people. And so if you begin with that notion and you begin with the belief in your own people, you can learn what it is that you need to learn about policy, about legislation, about laws. Um, but I do think that what's the most important aspect of any leadership role is emotional intelligence, social intelligence, and understanding how you can use your talents for good. And finally here, I usually give guests the opportunity to speak on anything that they'd like for our listeners to hear. Well, I think what I think is really important for your listeners to understand is that Tribal, nation, tribal nations are in the rebuilding phase. We experienced devastating losses from the 1600s on out. And, and United States policy hurt tribes in many ways. Um, but tribes are now in a position to advocate for themselves, to create vibrant communities, to recreate vibrant communities, to regain some indigenous lands and sacred sites, to recreate, not recreate, but relearn their languages. So for instance, our language wasn't formally spoken for over a hundred years. It hasn't been fluently spoken because people were beaten for speaking it. So tribes are reclaiming their own space here in, in the United States. And it's not about casting blame, but it's about acknowledging our history and knowing that we as a country can always do better. And when you have tribal voices, at higher levels within the federal government, we're able to at least ensure that people are being educated on how those policies have an impact and why we need to think about policy in a different way for our Native nations and why we need to re-envision the relationship that our Native nations have with the federal government. That was WSHU's Janice Roman speaking with United States Treasurer and Chief of the Mohegan Tribe, Lynn Malerba. WSHU will spotlight a different Indigenous woman each week throughout the month of March in recognition of Women's History Month. For the latest news from Long Island and Connecticut, you can listen on the radio or anytime online at WSHU.org or with the WSHU app. After All Things is supported by Hartford HealthCare. And if you like podcasts, WSHU has several others for you to check out on everything from climate change to video games. They're all there for you on our website or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sabrina Garone. Have a great rest of your evening. I'll talk to you tomorrow.